So turn with me to Genesis 8. Uh, Honestly, I've never preached on Genesis 8, particularly. I've mentioned it before, obviously, in sermons and stuff. But I'm kind of excited about looking at this passage with you this morning. And I'm... You know, I'm going to do something here that, uh, that, that may not seem to fit together at first, but today is, in fact, Trinity Sunday. And, uh, and so it, it's kind of fascinating that we're going to land here in Genesis 8. You would think if you're talking about the Holy Trinity, you'd probably need to get to the New Testament pretty quickly and probably even to Paul's language more specifically. But in fact, we're going to rewind because I just love to always see what God is doing in the Old Testament, which is always the foundation for what comes in the New Testament. There is no old, uh, New Testament without an Old Testament. So we want to be Old and New Testament. There's no such thing as a New Testament. That doesn't even make sense. The, Christians, the first Christians didn't even have a New Testament. So let's be real, all right? Um, where I want to start here is Genesis 8, and I'm just going to simply read the first uh, 12 verses. Notice these words here from the Word of God. Some of the most ancient, this is literally some of the most ancient texts we have in the world. All right, so just be, be aware of that. So here, let's read, let's read along here. But God remembered Noah. You can tell that's old language there. That's, that's a very interesting way to talk about something, isn't it? God remembered. I didn't know God forgot stuff, right? God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained, was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the mountain, or sorry, and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your holy word. And your word is for us. Thanks be to God it is. May it be for us today by the same power the power that is not impersonal, but the power of your Holy Spirit who inspired these very words. May they be inspired in our hearts. Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Trinity Sunday. 
What is it? And why do we do it? Andrew asked me this yesterday, actually. And so I, uh, I jotted down a couple things and looked back at some history on what is Trinity Sunday and why do we do it, in fact. Um, because remember, the term Trinity, which is how we describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in unity, is not in the Bible. To say, e, that's problematic, isn't it? Not necessarily. There are several things that we believe that are not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but the only way we can talk about them is language that we can understand, such as Trinity, if that's still good language to use, or triunity, or three in one, one in three. And today we celebrate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We celebrate God. Not just any God, the triune God. God the Father... God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. After the Arian, or Arian, controversy, uh, which Arius lived 256, roughly, to the early 300s. This is right before the Council of Nicaea, if you're up on your church history, right? Um, He basically said this. He said, look, there was a time when the Son was begotten of the Father, right? I mean, the language in John is begotten of, of the Father, right? The Spirit proceeds from the Father. So there's this priority to the Father that the Son is begotten of Him and the Spirit proceeds. That's language directly from the Bible, directly from John himself, who was an apostle of God, of Jesus. And Arian says, look, there was a time when the Son was begotten. If there was a time when He was begotten, then in fact He was created. If He was created... The problem with that then is he's not God because by definition God is uncreated. Right or wrong? That's right. Let's be like this. Or, or like, well, hang on, dude. Man, we're getting deep quick. Yeah, I know. I threw you in the deep end, all right? I'm going to try to get us out into the shallow in just a moment. Hang tight. Uh, and so what ended up happening in the church was after that Arian controversy, which if you go back and read about it, which, by the way, you really should read church history because guess who is leading the church? Jesus. I mean, it's good to learn Alabama history. I know you had to do that if you lived in Alabama. It's good to learn American history. It really is. But church history, that's, that's a really neat thing to learn about. And the Aryan controversy almost swayed many people to believe that Jesus was not God, that he was a created being of God. And this is unorthodox. This is wrong-headed theology. It's a lie. Because the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. There is not a moment in time where He is begotten of God, but rather eternally begotten from God and an eternal procession of the Spirit from God. God often being referred to in the Scriptures, as was in our Romans text, as the Father. Notice the language even that was read moments ago, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Notice the language. So this whole idea even of Trinity, three in one, one in three, the triune God, comes directly from the language that we wrestle with in the Bible. In other words, Christians are not, you know, Muslims say that Christians are trying to make God complicated. 
that God is a singularity and that Christians added these verses in here to complicate God. No, no, this was given and inspired by God and were the teachings of Jesus Christ. Like it or not, talking in Trinitarian language is something that God himself did in Jesus Christ. Notice the distinction I just made there. He says, I came from the Father. I will return to the Father. I am doing the Father's business. Not my will, but yours be done. Our Father. Then he says, I must go, Jesus speaking, because I need to send the Helper. He's not going to come if I stay. But when I go and return to the Father, He will come to remind you of me and point you to God. This is Jesus' own language. Words, of course, begin to fail us when we talk about God, and you would, I hope, assume that that would be the case, right? I mean, in things like chemistry, they have some big words. The medical field has some big words. And you know what? In theology, we have some big words. Homoousian, hypostatic union. I mean, these are all words that matter, and yet not the normal layperson would know that. And sometimes I even forget what it means. Thankfully, I know what those two words mean. But you know what? Here's the reality is we serve a God, we worship a God that is unlike any God ever thought up by humans. That's what I think is really neat about Trinity Sunday is we take a Sunday to say, we don't just serve a male monad in heaven, which is really Allah. We don't serve a multiplicity of gods or a plethora of gods or a pantheon of gods or a henotheistic understanding of gods or a pantheistic or panentheistic or an atheistic or an agnostic understanding of God. Not even just a theistic understanding or not even just a personal theistic understanding, but rather a triunity a community himself, a divine family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't like the language of Trinity. Okay, you're skirting on heresy, but it's okay. But you must understand that our God is not just a man in heaven. Not an invisible man, not a spirit only. Rather, this God eternally is Father who begets the Son and the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. Language taken directly from the Bible. Language that we must believe in. We don't always have to understand it, but we must believe it. And on this day... We celebrate a tradition that's been around really since the 14th century with Pope John the 22nd. Who's Catholic? You say, why would we be talking about a Catholic Pope in a Protestant service? That's a good question. But where traditions line up with the Bible, where creeds line up to the Bible, 
where practices in our church line up with the biblical text, we want to say, give it a like, you know, give it a thumbs up, give it an emoji that's positive, um, and say, we want to do that, we want to remember that, and today we remember that our God, I'm telling you this, is unlike any God ever thought up. You can't think up this idea of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm telling you, we could have, I could go into a class mode right now and talk about all the other ways. Even Hinduism tries to get close with the Trimurti of Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu, who represent creative powers, who represent destructive powers, and recreative powers. That is not a holy trinity. Because Vishnu himself is still Brahma. That's not what we're talking about here. When Jesus tells us, he says, not my will, but thine, that is a mind-blowing distinction between persons. If we had time, and we don't, I'm going to move on, I promise, we could go into our term for person. Our term for person, not just prosopon, but person, not just a mask on, which is the way the Romans understood a person, like an actor, but instead a person, whatever that might mean, biblically, we would understand that out of the discussion that happened because of Arius's heresy, we get our understanding of human personhood. Every time we say choose life because that's a person, conceived, that comes directly out of the discussion that happened What's the math on that? 2,000 minus 300? 1,700. Takes me just a second. Forgive me. 1,700 years ago. And a discussion that we now say today, we believe in that. We believe in a God, not a doctrine. Please understand this. We don't believe in a doctrine of the Holy Trinity. The, the Holy Trinity is not a doctrine. The Holy Trinity is God himself. This is why. This is exactly why the church early on started implementing in worship services things to remind us of who God is. We are to baptize what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is unchristian to have a singularity or to think everybody's, you know, Father and the Spirit are Jesus only. This is not Christianity. There are three persons in the divine Godhead who is a unity. That's, I mean, you've got to put some of this stuff in the spiritual pipe and smoke on it later today because we just don't have time to unpack it all. That is deep right there, friends. But wouldn't you expect that chemistry, the medical field has all these big ideas and theories and big words, and then we come to God and we're like, oh yeah, give me something simple. Something to eat cheese crackers with. No, this is the meat of the Word of God. This is His revelation of Himself. He's the one who created chemistry and the medical practices and the body, mitochondria and all this other kind of crazy stuff that goes on, copying DNA and all. It's nuts! And yet, He's the creator of that. Why would we come to those things and think it was, He was going to be simple? Absolutely not. Thankfully, we serve a God that we can't even comprehend with our minds. Which means we have no power over him. We must instead, the only response, get this, I love this. The only response to God 
is not to try to understand him more, try to read more and you know, books and theology. I mean, that's great. Trust me. I'd love to have more discussions about that. But that's not the way to do it. That's Gnosticism. That's salvation by knowledge. No. No, no, no. Personal encounter. Worship of God. To simply say, wow. And leave it at that. Raise our hands and say, you're a God that's greater, period. There's nothing greater than you. That's what Trinity Sunday is about. And so you say, okay, I'm ready to see how you're going to tie Noah into this whole thing, right? Well, get this. The Spirit throughout the Scriptures is seen as many things. But one of the ways at Jesus' baptism, which is, again, super Trinitarian. Remember, he's baptized. The Father speaks from heaven with a voice, an audible voice. And then the Spirit, Luke says, in bodily form. Wish I could have been there to see that. Descends like a dove. How complicated is that? Exegetically, you know, like interpretively. I mean, my goodness, bodily form and yet like a dove? Do you get the, the, problem, the issue there, I guess? You don't want to say it's a problem, but problem for me. Bodily form, bodily form, that's a human body, like a dove. Not a dove, like a dove. He's like, why a dove? Which is something I've asked myself. And this morning, as I went outside, before the sun rose, I looked up on, uh, on my detached garage and I was thinking a lot of things, but <laughs> there was a dove perched up there. And I was like, oh, look at there. There's a dove. And I asked, why, Holy Spirit, are you like a dove? Like, what about a dove is like you? Because it's not the other way around, right? Doves don't define the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit defines doves. Just like us as the image of God. We don't define God. God defines us. And he said, well, don't you remember Noah? I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I reminded myself that it's Noah's story. <laughs> Get this. Which is a baptism. Right? Where the Spirit shows up again. It's a baptism of the entire world with water. Why? To cleanse the world of sin. You know what I mean? This is before 6 o'clock. The Spirit on Pentecost is given to all people. Get this, all nations. Afghanistan, the Middle Eastern nations, China, North Korea. All nations, all peoples, without discrimination. And it's also the fulfillment, Pentecost is, of everything that God was doing... This is crazy. Genesis 1. You can't even get three verses in before you meet the Spirit. Hovering, guess what? Over water. 
anybody think that's awesome? Water. Which now we always represent here at Harvest Point. Every single Sunday we have water before you. Why? As an Ebenezer. As a sign reminding us that God wants to cleanse our world, yes, but also our world. Jason, thanks for testifying a moment ago on the spot. I love one that comes from the heart, though. Because mm, when the Lord does something, you don't have to write it down. It's already written down in here. He did a cleansing work in Jason's life and others. I know many of you could jump up right now and give testimony to what he's done. Thanks be to God. He uses his cleansing water by the power of the Holy Spirit to wash away our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My goodness, did y'all catch the Isaiah reading? Isaiah 6. Oh my goodness, did you hear it? Let me, let me just, I'm sorry, I gotta, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has, dep- notice the distinction he makes with sin. The guilt has departed. That's one problem is we have guilt of what we've done in the past. Guilt of what we've thought, guilt of what we've acted upon, guilt of what we've done to others. The guilt has departed and <laughs> your sin is blotted out. God wants to do with our sin, because it's, listen, sin runs deep. You, you have to be a Christian to even know that. But once the Spirit comes in to clean house, it's a lot of cleaning. And we don't just easily open all the doors at once. And thankfully, He's very patient with us. But He wants to clean house. He wants to make us into His image and likeness. And that's what we call holiness. That is holiness. Holiness is being in communion, in community, in love, in fellowship with the Holy Trinity. The Holy Community. The Holy God that we serve as Christians. The Christian God. And you know, used to, we, not ha- we didn't have to make that distinction, honestly, in America. We didn't have, when you said God, everybody understood it was the Christian God. You have to make that distinction now. That's not necessarily a bad thing. God is wanting to do a real work because, listen, even though I just gave testimony of a, of a demon-possessed girl on the side of a mountain that was healed, you say, that stuff doesn't hardly happen here. That's right. It doesn't because... The enemy hides when he can. He doesn't want to be known. He wants to operate and make you think you're just a good person. I mean, I promise you, if you talk to people, everybody says the same thing. I'm, oh, I'm a good person now. I don't know how God could ever send somebody like me to hell. Let me just tell you, straight up, I deserve to go to hell because of what I've done. What I've done to others, what I've thought, the actions, the things that I haven't done. Good Lord, and I mean that in a good way. Thanks be to God that he has 
forgiven me of the things that I should have been doing. Notice in Jason's testimony, it's the things that we should be doing that we don't do. As long as the enemy has you not doing anything, he doesn't care if you're good or not. Morally, you know, straight up. He doesn't care. Because you're not doing anything to further the kingdom of God and to advance His love to people who need it. The mark of someone who is sanctified is not so much what they do, but the things that they understand that they should have been doing this whole time. It's not just about being a perfect statue. It's actually about getting down in the dirt of this world. Didn't Jesus do that? Yeah, that's a good place to insert like an amen or, you know. God remembered Noah and the animals in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Wind. That is a term for the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, there's three terms. Spirit, breath, wind. It's all the same word. It can mean those things or it can mean Holy Spirit. Billy Graham used to say this, and I love it. It's a simple argument against someone simply saying to you, oh, you believe in God, you can't see God. How in the world can you believe in God? He says, have you ever seen the wind? No. But you've seen the effects of the wind, yes? Oh, of course. Well, God is a wind, the, spirit, uh, the scriptures say. Therefore, you've seen the effects of God. They're sitting around you right now. We're here and have life. The creation is a book written large for all to see. If you were looking, you saw it this morning. You don't have to be at a large body of water like I was this past week to notice it. It's in the clouds. It's in the cycles of nature that he has ordained. (laughs) His wind for us. Let the wind of the Spirit blow into your life. He wants to blow away some stuff. And what remains is of substance. This is winnowing, right? Like a winnowing fork. You know, they used to, they used to thresh wheat. And so you throw it up in the air on top of a mountain. Because wind is always blowing the top of mountains. Especially in Israel. And it would blow away the chaff or the husk. And what was of subs- substance would fall back to the ground. He wants to do the same thing with us. He wants to get his winnowing fork out. And just shuffle all the different things in our life up in the air and let them blow away by the wind of His Spirit. And what will fall back down into our lives will be the substance of God Himself. You say, where is God? How can we see God? In His church. His church is the presence of God in the world. Wow. You say, that lays a responsibility on us. Yeah, you think so? (laughs) I mean, a little bit, right? We're not just in it for ourselves, are we? We're in it to be His image. After His likeness. Verse 2, the rain from the heavens was restrained. God 
continually restrains evil. All the time, number one question that people are going to aim, you know, their crosshairs at, somebody like me, somebody like you, that would say God is good, is this question. How is he good in an evil world? And they're going to list out the most atrocious scenarios, hypotheticals, or real-life situations and say, now tell me, how is God good? And that's a tough question. It's one that we shouldn't brush aside or that we should act like it's easy to answer. And so I'm not going to give a full answer, of course, now. However, I will say this. God's plan, like it or not, is to restrain evil, not to completely get rid of it yet. Notice, yet. But thanks be to God that he doesn't just, that he hasn't just gotten rid of evil. Know why? Because evil runs right through this old boy. If he would have just said, you know what? Let's just get rid of this thing that they've opened up into their world. Not him, us. Then I would be going to hell or already in hell. But because of his grace, because he simply restrains evil on a leash, just like he restrained the heavens, the waters, just like he drew out exactly where the ocean is going to stop, just like he gave them a rainbow and said, I'm not going to do that again. I'll restrain myself. He's restraining by not destroying all of evil right now. (laughs) He's restraining his judgment. That's good news for us. It's good news for me, maybe not you, but I'm thanking God today that He hasn't just pushed the delete button on evil because He's still sanctifying my heart. And I have loved ones who still don't know Him and He's waiting patiently for us to go. We need to thank God that He's restraining evil. But one day, one day, He says... There will be no more sea. In other words, there will be a destruction, a final deletion of evil. That will be the judgment. That's when it's going to go down. We want to be on the right side of that. We want to be under the Father's care. We want to have Jesus the Son who represents us in the judgment. And we know that we can by having the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit restrains evil in us. And what a fine job He does. He has in me. He's prevented so much in my life. Thanks be to God He has. And if you don't think He has in your life, you just haven't yet got the eyes of faith to see it. His work is much like a householder or a homemaker. doesn't seem like they're doing much by staying home, but there's a great work being done. It is at my house from my wife, and it always doesn't get represented as, you know, the guy up there preaching. But trust me, the real work is done at home. And the Holy Spirit gets oftentimes misrepresented. 
unseen. But that's okay for him. He's not in it for himself. He's not always saying, hey, Marshall, you know, that was me that did that. Now, I do that. If I ever, you know, wash the dishes, I'm like, hey, Jessica, did you notice, like, uh, like something different in the kitchen, you know? Like, did you see those clothes I fold? I mean, trust me, I'll, probably, I'll be dead honest. No other reason not to be. I like to be noticed when I do something. I do. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I just have this thing where I'm left like, hey, did anybody? Uh, I mean, I thought that was pretty legit. I don't know about everybody else, but I thought that was pretty good, you know? And um, the Holy Spirit's not like that. Holy Spirit doesn't care who gets the honor or the praise because he comes to point us to Jesus. How awesome is, is even the Holy Trinity's relationship with each other? They're always deferential. Notice, Jesus says, look, I don't speak on my own. He could have said, look, that awesome sermon I just did, yeah, that was me, I worked on it for like three hours, you know. He, no. He says, whatever... I'm spe- I only heard it from the Father. None of them take the credit. And so in us, we see something that is not reflective of God. And it's tough. It's tough to do things that nobody notices but God. And yet, that is the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. Help us, Lord, as you flood our lives to restrain evil. To tell the waters and the chaos of the world were to stop. You know, our brothers in Mexico, we heard a funny story while we were there. Brandon took them to the beach. They had never been to the beach. They've always lived in the mountains, always. People before them had always lived in the mountains. I mean, it's three and a half hours by vehicle to get down there, so you can imagine. And he took them to the beach, and many of them wouldn't even get close to the ocean. They had never seen that much water. They were scared to death. I mean, you can imagine just the first time you've ever seen the ocean. Heck, even me. I mean, I had a paddleboard out there, and I get out in the ocean. I'm like, oh, I need to get back in the shore, you know? Like, it's a little scary out there. I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to flip. Especially once I saw a couple stingrays out there. I'm like, oh, probably a shark somewhere around, you know? Just the ocean's scary. It's chaotic. That's why, the, that's why the old shipmates and pirates, everybody tells us about Kraken and these monsters. Who knows what's in the deep? We can't even get down there today into the deepest parts of the ocean. And yet, one day, in Revelation, using symbolic language, God says there's not going to be any more sea. There'll be a crystal sea, but there won't be any more tumultuous chaotic evil in life. I'm looking forward to that day, but I want to take as many people with me as possible and not leave anybody behind. Our military has a great tradition of not leaving people behind. What if we had that tradition in the church? Let's not leave anyone behind. No matter the cost. It may mean your life to go get those people. It has for Brandon... His family, what they've given up, what you could give up right here. You don't even have to leave. The mission field has come to us now in America. And yet many of us are just trying to be good people. That's not enough. I hate to tell you, it's not a, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the good Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat. 
We need rest, but rest only comes for the soul by the Holy Spirit. It's only when we are truly at peace with God that our soul will rest. St. Augustine, many, many years ago, said in the 300s, as he was watching Rome burn and the Visigoths come in, he said, our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. That's something to live by right there, folks. Some of us are experiencing the flood of the sea in our own life. We are waiting for the day when we can say, land ahoy! Because we feel like we're just floating and being tossed to and fro. But the Spirit comes. Notice, they saw the mountaintops. I love that that verse that points out that all of a sudden in this massive body of water, it receded such that they could see the tops of mountains. What a sight that would have been. And as it continued to recede, he sends out a raven, but then he sends out a dove. And now we're full circle back to where we began. He sends out a dove to hover over the face of the waters. And then he sends it out again. And again, three times, seven days apart, the second time he comes back with an olive branch, which represents life. So you say, why is the Holy Spirit equated, symbolic, like a dove? Because when he comes back to our ark, our boat, our vehicle, he brings new life. He brings green life, this olive branch that he found. And then he flies away to make us a home. And he wants to bring us home. And he lives within us to do that. The Holy Spirit's work in us is what it means to be a Christian. And so today I've got super good news. The Spirit, the dove, is ready to rest on our life just as he rested on Jesus' life at his baptism. And as we remember our baptism, and as as we allow him to baptize us in the Spirit. That's John's language, John the Baptist, that is. He says, look, I baptize with water, but there's one coming who is going to baptize you in the Spirit and in fire. Wow, I need that fire in my life. Are you being tossed here and there? Do you feel like you can't see land anywhere? Then send out the dove. Call out to him. He will descend to you to help. And when he descends, he will bring all of God with him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do we have fear Today in our lives, do we have evil that's knocking at our door? He's ready to help. He's ready to restrain. May we accept the invitation of the creator and the maker of our soul and body, the ruler of all, that this God would even ask us, that he would even invite us, is and should be humbling into his home into this home.
He makes his temple with us, in us. What a God that is. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.